feel stuck? Tired of wrestling with shame, insecurity, and hiding your flaws? Friend, I've been there, and it's time to come out of hiding because God wants to meet you in the middle of your big hot mess. I'm Kimberly Stokes, and I'm on mission to help real women, just like you, get unstuck, meet Jesus in all the ordinary moments, and live in increased intimacy with God. Ephesians 3.20 says God can do far more than you could ever imagine. This is the Imagine More podcast, and it's time for today's show. Welcome, 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 my friend. I'm so glad you joined me for today's episode, entitled Growl, Grumble, or Grow. Okay, honestly, I'm already feeling a little convicted just by the title of this episode. How about you? But seriously, I can be so quick to grumble. Even if I don't say it out loud, in my spirit there can be a grumbling or complaining type of mentality when I encounter circumstances out of my control or in situations that are painful or super disappointing. It's easy to grumble. And it's easy for me to have a complaining narrative running through my brain. Can you relate? And this little question that I ask myself has really proved invaluable. And the question is, grumble or grow? I hope that will empower you the next time you have a grumbling, complaining narrative running through your head. And I just want to say, <laughs> honest confession here, I'm so in process. And sometimes I fail miserably in my process. Like last night, it was late. I was very hangry. I went to Kane's drive through but the line was way too long. I had to pick up food. I was in a time crunch for my daughter and myself, so I turned around, drove to Chipotle. At Chipotle, the employee who checked me out was the worst. So rude and not helpful. Let's just say customer service ain't his thing. But that's no excuse for how I acted. I almost went ghetto on him. I was angry. I was rude. And if I'd said all the things that were going through my head, I would have cussed him out and had a full-on Tourette's episode. Honestly, it was an epic fail. Last night, I didn't grow. I didn't love this undeserving employee well. I simply growled and grumbled. And I just kind of acted a fool. I huffed out of Chipotle with our order, got in my car, shut the door, and immediately I already felt convicted. And yeah, he was an idiot, but I was in my flesh. Anyway, I just wanted to confess, sometimes we fail miserably. We say yes to the enemy, and we give God an unintentional no in that moment. That was my experience last night in Chipotle. But I'm so thankful for God's grace, aren't you? As we dive into today's topic, growl, grumble, or grow, first off, I want to hit on our expectations. Because it seems to me that so often, my expectations have a huge impact on how I respond when trouble comes knocking at my door or when trouble simply knocks my door off its hinges. Like at Chipotle, I guess deep down I expect employees at service places to be cordial. That expectation wasn't met, and then I went a little ghetto on the guy. But that's nothing compared to our expectations when they aren't met in relationships that really matter, like with our spouse, friends, coworkers, or kids. The definition of expectation is a strong belief that something will happen in the future or a strong belief that someone will or should achieve or do something. But how often do our expectations in life not really live up to the reality of what we actually experience pretty frequently, right? So expectations and how we deal with unmet expectations is incredibly, incredibly important in our lives. A study at MIT reports 
research has shown that our perception of the world is influenced by our expectations. And they say these expectations, also called prior beliefs, help us to make sense of what we are perceiving in the present based on similar past experiences. So this is really basic neuroscience in the way God created our brains to function. In that our perceptions are filtered through, are influenced by our expectations and past experiences. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I just want to give you a brief recap of this parable. So there was a landowner who needed some employees in his vineyard. So early one morning, he found some men who needed work. They agreed to work for him all day long for one denarius. Fair pay for a fair pay's work. I mean, for a fair day's work, right? Everybody was happy in this scenario. The men had work with agreed upon pay, and the owner had happy workers for his vineyard. Life was good. Three hours later, the Bible tells us the landowner finds some more unemployed men and says, Hey, guys, you want to work in my vineyard today? I'll pay you what's right. Sure enough, these guys happily agreed to work for whatever pay the landowner deemed right. So as the parable goes, the landowner continued throughout the day to find more dudes who needed work. And at the end of the day, the landowner told his foreman, called together the workers, and he wanted the ones who were hired last to be paid first. So it was very intentional on his part. So Mr. Foreman, you know, pays the guys who'd only worked for one hour. And guess what? He gave them one denarius. I mean, think about if you were that guy. Wouldn't you be happy they probably expected a fraction of that because they only worked like an hour or so. As Mr. Foreman continued to pay the guys who worked three hours, six hours, nine hours, 12 hours, they all got the same amount of pay. They all received one denarius, which if you remember is exactly the amount the early morning laborers happily agreed to work for. But guess what? When those guys saw the men who were hired last, receive a denarius, they probably started thinking, hmm, I worked a lot longer than him, so I deserve more. This is going to be my lucky day. The Bible even says they expected to receive more based off what their mind said was fair, right? Even though one denarius was their agreed upon salary that morning with their boss. And keep in, in mind the little phrase, what they thought was fair. So, when their expectations weren't met, these workers began to grumble and complain. Now, friend, I don't know about you, but for me, this is getting close to home. I'm thinking, how often do I get fussy, growl, and grumble in my heart when my expectations aren't met? Can you relate? How often do I, even though I might not verbalize it, have thoughts like, well, this isn't fair. I deserve blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank with whatever scenario might arise. Or I deserve this raise at work. This isn't fair. I deserve a husband who's more fill in the blank for your scenario, more ambitious, a better provider, more of a spiritual leader, maybe more emotionally connected to me or our kids. Or it might be, I expected to have kids who aren't so fill in the blank might be selfish, disobedient, lazy, whatever. I can just hear the growl and grumble in all these statements. And it reminds me of an old dog who's watching you like out of the corner of her eye. And she just has this low, throaty growl. Honestly, sometimes I'm like that old dog when my life sucks. But I always have a choice. I can growl and grumble or I can choose to grow. 
let's be really honest. In disappointment and in the midst of unmet expectations, it's so tempting to grumble internally. So in my personality, I'm a natural optimist. But even I can have these rumblings in my head or in my heart when disappointment happens, when things aren't fair and my expectations aren't met. And friend, if we don't expose and deal with the rumble of those grumbles in our heart, it will continue to grow and fester. Okay, unmet expectations that aren't dealt with can turn into deep, deep disappointment, which if ignored, gives birth to a really ugly baby called bitterness. And this doesn't happen in like my Chipotle example of last night. This happens in relationships and situations that really matter. I'm going to say it again because it's so powerful. So unmet expectations that aren't dealt with can turn into deep disappointment, which if ignored, gives birth to a really ugly baby called bitterness. And this ugly baby, it's evidenced in our heart, in our attitudes, our relationships with our boss, our husband, our kids, parents, friends, others. Sometimes we might not even be aware of the ugly baby of bitterness that was birthed in our hearts. But I guarantee you, others will see it, feel it, and be affected by our ugly baby. So, my question for you and for myself today is, Number one, is God the ruling entity over my expectations and over the deep disappointments that I've encountered? Another question, are my current expectations in agreement with God's truth in his heart? And lastly, have I released the deep disappointments in my heart to God? And this will be something that we continually surrender to him. It's not like a one and done. It takes time to truly release disappointment. It's definitely a process, especially big deals like the death of a loved one, a failed marriage, deep, deep rooted shame in our hearts, or if we've encountered infidelity or issues of betrayal. Friend, are you unknowingly carrying around the ugly baby of bitterness Put on your tough shirt because we need to hear this. At least I know I need to hear this today. Is it possible that the ugly baby of bitterness is strapped to your chest and you're not even aware of it? Reminder, unmet expectations, birth disappointment, and deep disappointment that's ignored can birth bitterness in our hearts. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So how is bitterness birthed from disappointments that are ignored? Well, I think Hebrews 12, 15 hits the nail right on the head. We miss the grace of God. And the Greek word there for grace is goddess, which means the merciful kindness or the loving kindness of God. And it's the divine attribute of the Father. And it is the beautiful baby that he seeks to birth in our hearts. His grace, his goddess. And often the conception process for God's baby of grace to be birthed in our hearts, it comes as we navigate through unmet expectations and deep disappointments. I mean, like, think about that for a minute. That hits my heart so deeply. So the conception 
process for God to birth this baby of grace in and through us comes many times as we navigate through unmet expectations and deep disappointments. Something will be birthed and conceived as you walk through your pain. It's your choice. It's my choice. Will it be the ugly baby of bitterness or the beautiful baby of God's grace and his loving kindness? Okay, (laughs) just to make sure you're tracking with me, especially for those of you who are literal concrete thinkers, I'm not talking about a physical baby, but rather a picture of what's birthed in our hearts based on the choices we make as we navigate the really, really rough waters of life. We can choose to growl and grumble, which leads to what I'm referring to as the ugly baby of bitterness, or we can choose to grow up and mature, letting God's nature and His grace be more deeply planted in us and lived out through us. I think the enemy really, really wants to trip us up through unmet expectations and deep disappointments in effort to birth this ugly baby of bitterness in our hearts. So we don't give grace or release merciful and undeserved kindness to cover offenses. You know, if your mind is screaming, but this isn't fair, he or she doesn't deserve to be forgiven, beware, because that sounds like the ugly baby of bitterness. Growling, grumbling, and not choosing to grow. I want to read Hebrews twelve fifteen again. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. So when we miss the grace of God, that's when bitter roots grow up. And that Greek word for bitter, it means bitter gall, which is like a bitter root that produces a bitter fruit. And the root of that word, it it denotes something that's acrid, which is like sharp, harsh, or biting. And it's actually, I found interesting, used in poison. And that's what bitterness does in our hearts and our minds. It's like poison. When we drink the Kool-Aid of bitterness, we're unknowingly drinking the enemy's wine. You may not be DUI, but friend, are you LUI? Are you living under the influence of the enemy's wine of bitterness in your daily life? In your marriage? On your job? With your kids? Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Bitterness is not from God. He plainly tells us, get rid of all bitterness. There aren't any caveats. There's not a single caveat. Now, I know life can throw us some curveballs. Life can be filled with deep disappointment, with pain and grief. But bitterness isn't going to help us. It's the ugly baby the enemy loves to birth in us. If you're in a really rough place, I'm not saying avoid your pain. But beware, don't get stuck in your trauma, in your deep disappointment, in the middle of unmet expectations. Let's let Jesus meet us in the middle of our big hot mess. Let's get honest with him. If you need to see a therapist, see a therapist. What happened to you may have been 100% out of your control, and it probably wasn't fair. But friend, how you choose to respond to that is 100% your choice. 
How I choose to respond is 100% my choice. We can growl, we can grumble, and nurse that ugly baby of bitterness. Or we can embrace God in the middle of our pain and birth His beautiful baby of grace and grow more like Jesus in the process. And I realize these words are so much easier said than done, but this is the truth. This is the gospel. This is the kingdom of God. I am just as challenged by that word as you are, but I want to lean into God and let him birth his grace in my heart. If you're going through a really, really rough season, I want you to take heart. Hebrews 12 verse 3 says, Consider him, meaning think about Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So consider Jesus. He endured such opposition. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but Jesus does. And I guarantee he endured more opposition from sinful men, more opposition than you have from whomever has sinned against you. Okay, now I want to bring it back to the parable of the workers in the vineyard. In Matthew 20, the workers of the vineyard were simply bitter with the landowner who was so generous to the latter workers. He was perfectly fair to them, right? He gave them what they had happily agreed to work for. But his extreme generosity towards the latter workers, the one who came like, you know, three hours before quitting time or one hour before quitting time, that exposed the selfishness in their hearts. Don't get me wrong, I'm all about being honest with ourselves and with God. It's imperative for intimacy and simply living a healthy life emotionally. But there's a big difference in laying our disappointment, our pain, and even our selfishness before God or choosing to growl about how bad we have it, have a pity party, and continue to grumble. In the parable, the landowner obviously represents our amazing Heavenly Father, whose heart is lavish in generosity, whose heart is kind and giving to the undeserving. And the, that is just really the exact heart that He seeks to birth in you and in me. And this happens as we choose to embrace Him in the middle of real life, choose to grow, not growl and grumble. But we can't live out this incredible giving nature until we consistently allow God the right to rule over our expectations and our disappointments. I really believe that God wants to expose our me first mentalities and like, ouch, that is hitting me. It's convicting my heart. So please know God is like convicting me as I've prepared this, as I'm thinking about it, and even in this moment as I'm saying it. I'll be honest with you, on many levels, God is exposing my me-first mentality. And perhaps maybe he wants to expose your me-first mentality as well. But the beauty of God's conviction when we sin is not shame. It's simply a loving call from our Father to repent, to turn to Him, to confess, Yes, Lord, will you please forgive me for having a me-first mentality so much of the time? We can simply confess our sin and, boom, receive His beautiful grace and forgiveness. So many things in the kingdom of God, they're inside out and upside down, right? In greatness in the kingdom of God, it's not like greatness in the world. As we think about facing adversity, 
that we either choose to growl and grumble or we can choose to grow. When my life sucks, those are my options. Friend, when your life sucks, those are your options. And there are some character qualities that God wants to birth in us, in our inner man, in our hearts, in greater measure. At least I know he's exposing some of these to me personally. He's calling me to increased growth in partnership with him in these areas. In Matthew 20, Jesus said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must become a servant. He said, the son of man didn't come to serve, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greatness in Jesus' mindset looks like putting others first. It's not a me first mentality. And honestly, I struggle with that quite a bit. Jesus' idea of greatness is that we humble ourselves, that we serve others, that we give our lives away. My sister is the person who comes to mind, who I know who most lives out this example. I really think when she gets to heaven that she's going to be totally blown away by how heavy her crown is that she gets to place at the feet of Jesus. Because she is a consistent example of someone who puts others first, who willingly serves, and who gives. Matthew 18.4 says, Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It takes great humility to meet God in the middle of our unmet expectations and in our deep disappointments. To put others first, to crucify that me-first mentality, to give our lives away for Jesus. I really believe God is awakening his bride unto maturity, unto humility, Humility is a character quality and a heart attitude that God wants to birth in us at a deeper level. Another thing he wants to birth in us is forgiveness and mercy. Friend, who are we to withhold forgiveness? God expects us to forgive. He has forgiven all of our debt, all of our sin. How can we withhold forgiveness from someone else? Just as the workers of the vineyard who came in at that last hour, didn't deserve a full day's pay. Friend, who is God put in your life that doesn't deserve a compassionate touch? Who in your family or on the job is God calling you to love with humility, to forgive with extreme generosity? Do you get what I'm saying here? It's not fair, in quotes. They truly might not deserve a denarius. But your father says, let's just love the hell out of him today. Who is God calling you to lay your life down for, to serve, to give, and to love today? The heart of the father is extreme generosity. It's lavish love. It's undeserved forgiveness. We love to receive these things from God, don't we? But we tend to grumble and complain when our expectations aren't met. And he calls us to give our denarius to the undeserving, to our spouse who may have hurt us deeply or disappointed us, to a parent who's a piece of crap as a father, to your boss or a church leader who maybe wounded your heart or let you down. But we can never give away more love than we've received from God. We can't give away more forgiveness than we've received from God. And I truly believe the degree to which we've received from the Father is the degree to which we'll live out his kingdom. Friend, I encourage you, purpose to get to know the Father. Intentionally spend time with him. Practice receiving from him. 
He'll consistently give you a denarius when you deserve nothing. Nada. Practice receiving from the Father every time you experience hurt in your marriage. Practice receiving from the Father every time you experience a disappointment in your heart. Practice receiving from the Father every time you experience lack. Whether it's a lack of patience, forgiveness, hatred, an unkind or selfish thought. Just fess up when you mess up. Receive God's forgiveness. Then open your heart and your mind, your emotions to receive from the Holy Spirit. In the parable of the landowner, as we receive his denarius that we didn't deserve, we can learn from that experiential, unmerited generosity of God and we'll be impacted at a heart level by his lavish love. Let's stop growling and grumbling and start engaging God in the middle of our messes, in the midst of our pain and our unmet expectations. Invite him into those ugly, selfish places in your heart and mind. Surrender to him and ask him to fill you with his spirit. Freely, you and I have received way more than a denarius from our Father. Let's embrace him in the middle of our real lives, in messy processes, and learn to give our denarius to the undeserving person in our lives. You always have a choice. I always have a choice. We can growl, we can grumble, or we can embrace God and grow, releasing our denarius to the undeserving. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. I'm convicted and challenged, and friend, I hope you are too. I want you to remember that I'm for you, I believe in you, and more importantly, always remember that God is for you. He believes in you. You're not alone on this journey. He's in you and with you. I just am sending you much love from my heart to yours today. Until next time. Friend, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it on your social accounts because we want to reach and bless as many women as possible. You can find me on Instagram at Kimberly K. Stokes. And be sure to check out our blog and online resources at imaginemoreministries.org. We're developing new resources to help you thrive on your journey with Jesus.